0: the elders had an announcement that they wanted to share with the congregation. So Mike's going to help us with that. And then we have a prayer uh, request, a special prayer request, and a couple special things we wanted you to be aware of as a church uh, before we jump into the sermon. So there's a lot of moving pieces this morning. Mike?
1: We need to talk. There are two things we, the elders, would like to draw to your attention. First, this last week, The posting on the church Facebook site ignited strong feelings and strong opinions from a few people. In the comments that followed, words became heated. As soon as anger appears, damage is done. Remember, everything posted is public unless it is explicitly taken private. I'd like to excerpt from Calvin's Facebook response. My hope and desire for our church Facebook page, is a forum that is primarily encouraging and informational about church activities or what is happening in each other's lives. I especially love it when we can share prayer requests with each other. When conversations begin to turn into debate or we start labeling certain people or certain actions in ways that can be demeaning, divisive, or polarizing, these will be removed. Social media presents unclear and partial information that we read into and get upset about, and situations quickly escalate and feelings get hurt. I personally have not observed problems being fixed or differences of opinion being resolved via Facebook posts. If you have questions, you want to debate an issue, you need clarification, or if you think we are doing something wrong, please talk to Calvin or the elders in person Matthew 18:15 comes to mind. If we cannot talk with you in the moment, we will gladly set up something with you. When issues do come up, please be patient with Calvin and the elders. It probably isn't because we're uninformed or ignorant, and it definitely isn't because we don't care. Wisdom suggests it's best to let the emotion of the moment rest before it is dealt with. Face-to-face or over social media, James' admonition to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry holds true. Let's be mindful and discerning about ways the enemy would like to use any possible thing he can to separate us, isolate us, or break us apart. Think about the words you are speaking or posting. Words have power. Words have meaning. With words, we lift each other up and offer hope in difficult times. With words, we cut and stab into the very heart. Think before you comment. Choose your words carefully. Ask yourself, will these words help or hinder? Are they meant to lift up or knock down? We, of all people, should lead the way by being civil in our discourse. Second, The leadership has had uh, questions about conducting baby blessings. Understand that we, the eldership, have chosen to honor our babies and families in this way. The scriptures tell us to bless, pray for, and encourage our church family so our love of Jesus may be seen in the way we treat one another. Blessing our babies spotlights the call for each of us to see and be part of the lives of our children and families. Regarding the use of oil during the blessing, it has no special powers. It is simply a soothing ointment meant to be reassuring. Use of the oil is entirely voluntary and carries with it no stigma or hidden meaning. The baby blessing tradition is meant to be a celebration, a recognition of the value we place on the family, which should, in turn, reflect the value God places on us. We are blessed. We come together as children of God to worship him, to bring honor and glory to his name, to be holy, to attain maturity, to serve him to the best of our ability, to witness to our community what the grace of Jesus has done for us, to draw the world into a relationship with God that sin has tried to separate for millennia. Remember, the church is the precious bride of Christ. We all have a responsibility to keep it holy. If you have questions or concerns, please come to us, the elders and Calvin or Calvin. We would be pleased to talk with you. If you hear the elders won't respond or listen to your concern, you are misinformed. As ones who will give an account for your souls, we want to hear what's on your heart.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mike. You know, there is so much that can potentially pull us apart. It comes at us every which way. They will know we are Christians, not because we get everything right, or because we don't make mistakes, because of the things that we make choices about. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Sometimes love is hard work. And so uh, as we continue, this morning uh, Mary came up to me and uh, just a concern on her heart she has a granddaughter kirsten lovejoy who's going to be uh, going through two surgeries this week her eyesight is at risk and uh, it's a very serious thing and so there's going to be an operation for kirsten on tuesday and then one on wednesday so i said let me pray over you in that situation just so this church, as a family united, we can give our amen to this prayer and uh, see what the Lord does with it on behalf of this family. So, Father, we thank you that we can stand together to try to uh, lift up the concerns of our heart. And I thank you for Mary and Bernie's faith and their desire for good things for their granddaughter, Kirsten. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that the surgeries that she has to go through are a complete success. That you save her eyesight, that you give her swift and quick recovery, that you help the, uh, the doctors with the surgery, that everything would go fine. Lord, we trust you for this, and we know that you are able to do more than we can ask or imagine. But as a congregation, we surround this family in our love and prayers are now on the behalf of Kirsten Lovejoy and all who uh, uh, the people in this church who together want to support and love this family. Together now we say, in Jesus' name, Amen. Other other good things that we need to be aware of. Uh, we have had some last names change around here recently, so. Uh, First, uh you might see over here there's a little guy and well he's not a little guy is he? A bigger guy and his new bride. The Brock family got to celebrate a joyous event and we praise God for that. And also our very own Chloe and Jeremiah the Taylors. If you get a chance to go spot them and shake a hand and congratulate all these families for that commitment they're making. Praise God. All right. I suppose I should get into a sermon now, huh? We know I'm a little long-winded at times, so uh, let's not dilly-dally any longer. We're continuing our sermon series in John, and we are... Finishing the 14th chapter, we're into the 15th chapter, and the timing of the Lord, it's just wonderful. The words that he gave me to chew on this week and mull over, they were ministering to me, and I hope they minister to you too by the grace and power of God working through his Holy Spirit. So uh, if you're visiting with us, we're thrilled to have you, and uh, we want you to keep coming back, and we want to meet you and get to know you and figure out how we can do this thing together. It's not our own glory we're after or even our own satisfaction and happiness. It's to glorify our God. We also have uh, some other young people that will be good meeting. We have a team, the Sequoia Church Plant team and a whole bunch of short-term people who have come out here for this weekend. They're mostly sitting all over here in the first couple rows Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to spending some time with them, and uh, just take a chance to greet them, and uh, uh, we'll look forward to what we can do and accomplish together here coming up. So as we jump into our text, we find Judas, not Judas Iscariot, speaking. He says, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him he who does not love me will not obey my teaching these words you hear are not my own they belong to the father who sent me so at first when I read this I thought Jesus' answer to Judas question seems a little bit strange but what is happening here is Jesus is explaining the way reality works. The, the reality of how God reveals himself to us. It's through love and obedience. When you love and obey the Father and the Son, they come into your life. They come and make their home in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a correlation between love and obedience. Love makes obedience easy. It makes it attractive. And we know that it's for our good and for the good of others. And if we come at it from the other direction, if you are obedient, even though you don't fully understand, that obedience will grow your love. It'll grow your love. Later on in his letters, the Apostle John, after writing this gospel, he says these words. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. That's... That's kind of almost unbelievable to us, isn't it? Because we think of the commands of God as this big burden. All these expectations we're supposed to do, live up to. We can't do it. We keep making mistakes. It's embarrassing. And Jesus, he says, follow my commands. And then John says in this letter, his commands, they're not burdensome. They're not burdensome. Because if we think about it, you know what the thing that is burdensome for us is trying to have things my own way. Have you ever felt the burden of that? I want things Calvin's way right now. Your way right away. We live in that culture, don't we? And the reason why we fall short on our obedience is because our love, oftentimes, it's just not strong enough. And when that love is not there, we simply will not obey the teachings of Jesus. His teachings, we don't follow them and we don't obey them because they don't mean anything to us. They don't mean anything to us because we don't love them enough. This is talking about a heart of sonship or daughtership versus a heart of the servant or a hired hand or a slave. And Jesus is constantly trying to woo us and love us and move us to a place where we move from our hired hand servant mentality, serving out of a place of obligation, a place of fear, to a place of sonship or daughtership, where our service and obedience, it comes naturally out of our love. When we approach the Lord with a hired hand mentality, the tasks that we face, the circumstances we have to deal with, they seem overwhelming. Our work seems heavy. We constantly fail to keep the commands of God. And it's just we don't have the heart to sustain it. We don't care enough. So remember in John chapter 10 recently, we were reading this verse. says the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, So, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The hired hand mentality says, What is the minimum I have to do to get this paycheck? The hired hand mentality says, What is the minimum premium I have to pay? To get my eternal life insurance policy validated. Heaven approved. So we're baptized. We show up once in a while. Perhaps we toss a little bit in the collection plate. We try our best to keep the rules. But they feel heavy and burdensome. And we wonder why our faith seems so weak And we fail to experience the abundant life that Jesus promises us. And Jesus, He comes to us and He's like, why are you fighting over a life insurance policy? Why are you fighting over a paycheck when I'm offering full adoption? I'm writing your name in the will to receive all the treasures of the kingdom of heaven. I think about that scene in National Treasure when they finally go in and they have this room full of these historical artifacts and treasures everywhere. That's nothing, nothing compared with what the Lord is offering us in Jesus Christ. He says this word, these words in the first chapter, remember. To all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become Children, children of God, born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. He wants to give us everything. That's the desire of God. God becomes daddy to us, Abba, Father. And when I am a son or a daughter, my motivation changes, doesn't it? My heart's desire is to do those things that please my Father. You know why I do this? Because I know that those things, I've learned by experience that those things my Father desires, they are for my good. You see, guilt or shame or fear or obligation, they will allow you to keep commands for a time, but that time is short lived but the person who obeys from a heart of love. They're playing a whole nother game on a whole nother level. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything. Everything. I have said to you. Remember I talked about, uh, I don't know, last week or a couple weeks ago, a trail of breadcrumbs that Jesus left for his disciples that they just couldn't understand in the moment. Things like the prediction of his death, uh, being lifted up. They didn't understand what all that meant. Uh, The kind of death he would die, his betrayal, his abandonment, uh, uh, Peter's denial, and then talking about the Holy Spirit who helps Uh, The disciples remember all of these things. The Holy Spirit comes in and he helps counsel and teach to grow in love, to understand and trust God at a whole nother level. You see, the Holy Spirit, we get all of these different ideas about what the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit isn't. The Holy Holy Spirit is not like some impersonal spiritual energy of some kind. It's not just some phenomenon like electricity. The Holy Spirit has a personality. He's a person. And the Holy Spirit is not just the Bible. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible and uses the words of the Bible in an intimate and special way. But the Holy Spirit is bigger than all of that. The Holy Spirit is God. The Spirit has a personality. The Spirit has work that He does. The Spirit has feelings. Did you know that? Did you know you can grieve the Holy Spirit? In John 16 and in Hebrews, we find instances where it says the Spirit speaks, which implies we need to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. So just in this couple verses in John 14, we know this about the Holy Spirit at least. He comes to teach, to remind, counselor in the sense of a legal advocate to advise us in our problems, uh, an encourager could be taken from that word. He's with us forever so that we're not orphans. The Holy Spirit comes in and takes away a spirit of orphanship or feeling like an orphan. That's how intimate this relationship is with the spirit and he's described as the spirit of truth, meaning there's no shadow side with the Holy Spirit. It's not half truth. The Holy Spirit is reliable. The Holy Spirit is trustworthy. He is, in fact, the truth that sets us free. The spirit of truth. See, the Holy Spirit is also associated with all of these wonderful fruit that we talked about in Galatians. And one of those fruits is peace. How many of you need more peace in your life? I'm feeling it. I want more peace in my life. I want more of the peace of the Holy Spirit in my life. Jesus says these words, peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, when we think about peace, typically we think about it in terms of absence of turmoil or drama or violence. But the peace that Jesus is talking about here is deep well being. It's thriving. It's something that He Himself gives us through the Spirit. Because peace is in Jesus' authority, to, peace is something in Jesus' authority He's able to give to us. This means that it's not based on my life circumstances, it's not based on what any human person can give me or take away. It's beyond what any other person can do to harm me. You see, the peace of Jesus is not like the peace the world gives. That's why he says this. I don't give as the world gives. Because the world in the world, the way the world gives things, the reality is never as good as what's promised. Have you ever noticed that? The world is fickle. The world has a very short attention span. The world takes back what it gives. And trying to build peace from our constantly shifting circumstances, well, what's going to be thrown at us this week? If that's where I'm trying to build my peace, thats I, I'm in big trouble. It's like trying to build your house out of playing cards. Because the truth is, so many of the circumstances that get thrown our way, they're outside of our control. We try to pretend we're in control, but we're not. Never to the level we would love to be in control. And when we try to build peace based on these circumstances, it's a house of cards. And the first stiff breeze that comes along, we're having to start over again and over again and over again. And our peace is constantly taken away from us and it's constantly robbed from us. Jesus' peace is different. Some of us have experienced this peace even amidst horrible circumstances in our life. From all signs, that peace should not be there. And yet there it is. Because this peace can't be yanked from us. We don't have to have troubled hearts. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Jesus, He's reassuring His disciples, isn't He? Because there are going to be some circumstances coming that they might question, can I really trust this peace, this word of Jesus? There are challenges to their faith that are coming. But His assurance is, I will come back to you. And then Jesus in these wonderful, beautiful verses He invites them to take off this lens of all their circumstances and all their worry and put on another set of glasses to look at reality. I get to go back with my Father. Enter into that joy with me. Be blessed by that joy I have getting to be together with my Father. The Father, He was greater than I that anticipation, that excitement. What a beautiful thing. You know, um, as a missionary in Africa, there were times, you know, that we went without communication to our families for extended periods. You know, when we were first over there, email was a new technology. Uh, We had to, when 9-11 happened, we had to wait an hour and a half for our dial-up internet that would download the picture one little line at a time so people are telling us what's going on in america and the united states and we're just like what in the world and we just sat there on the edges of our seats that's how that's the phones the technology the scrambled signal calls getting bounced and it was so expensive you remember long distance bills don't you some of you so it was like something like $3 an hour to call from our home phone there to my parents' home phone in the States. So we just never did it. Missionaries, we don't have extra money for that. So I think it was something like over two years at one point that my dad had not heard my voice. And so I, we were making plans for a furlough, and we just decided, I'm going to spring for it, and I'm just going to pay this 50 bucks or whatever it was going to be and talk to my parents for a few minutes to make some of these plans. And I remember what it did to me. Talking to my dad. And he was trying to talk back. But hearing his son's voice after not hearing him for two years, he couldn't spit out the words. His voice was cracking. It was shaky. He heard his son's voice again. My mom had to talk for my dad because he just couldn't get it out. You think about that. And and I know some of us have not won the dad lottery in our lives. And I know, but we all have people who love us and support us and cheer us and think about the beauty of of the reunions that are waiting for us. I found this little video clip I wanted to share, hopefully it plays okay, about an a 88-year-old father whose son leaves for just even a week. And this son comes back, who's 53 years old, and he cannot wait to get into His Father's arms. And so this is just a little analogy of, I think, the joy that Jesus must have in knowing that He's going back to the Father. He's inviting the disciples into that. What a beautiful thing that is. That's beautiful, isn't it? You know, the, the, the things that we see where our vision gets locked, sometimes we just need to take another set of lenses that Jesus gives us. This isn't just Jesus going back to that kind of love it's us being invited into that kind of love as well. Drawn into that love that challenges us and changes us and makes us obedient. We long for this on some level, don't we? I will not speak with you much longer. For the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. In these verses, Jesus is telling us that that humanity, the world, the devil, the prince of this world, his minions, they are not the ones who have the power to hold him to the path that he is choosing to walk. We were told in our communion thought this morning, Jesus had a choice. It's not... The prince of the world who had his way with Jesus that caused this to happen. The only thing that kept Jesus on the path to his own death was his unwavering and unshaking faith in his father. And the joy he had in obeying his father. Because perfect love manifests itself in perfect obedience. And then these last couple words, we tend to run right past them. But there's a movement happening now. Come now, let us leave. So everything that's been going on right now in these last two chapters is in the upper room. Uh, It was the foot washing of Jesus, the Last Supper prediction of Judas' betrayal, uh, Peter's denial All of this teaching on the Holy Spirit from uh, chapter 14. All this has taken place in the context of the upper room. And so now they move out of the upper room and start making their way toward the Kidron Valley and to an olive grove there. But on their way, they would have walked right past. They would have had to walk past people who had planted grapevines. And at this time of year, when the Passover was taking place, it was just after the time of grape pruning. So when they went out of the upper room, they quite literally could have walked past people who were busy pruning the grapes. And likely they still would have seen grape, uh, the canes or the branches in piles laying around on the ground. So that's the context. Jesus, when He's teaching this, He's giving them an object lesson. I am the true vine. My Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I didn't know this, and I just learned this this week, actually. Uh, But unless you remove the majority of the previous year's harvest or the previous year's growth and the branches, you're not going to get any new grapes they really have to cut those puppies back. Uh, So they trim back like 90% of the previous year's growth, just down to a couple buds. And this actually makes the plant way more fruitful and way more productive. You know, when we read these verses too, we tend to think automatically about judgment. And in a sense that that there is true, there's judgment. There are consequences when you walk away from Jesus Christ. It's not by his choice, though. But the bigger picture of this text is the gardener is doing exactly what is necessary to keep the plant most fruitful and most healthy. (coughs) My friend Trevor, he used to tell me, Calvin, remember this. The gardener is never closer to the plant than when he's pruning it. He's never closer than when he's pruning it. And we may like not like it, and we may feel uh, that this is this painful, these, these moments in life that come our way, and it seems like 90% of the progress we make is just wiped out in a moment. Last year's growth is just being cut away. The message of Jesus is this, is trust the gardener. Trust the gardener. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And notice who's supposed to be doing the pruning, right? We all like to put that hat on and think that we're, maybe this is my job to help prune this a little bit. No, we have someone who's taking care of this. We trust God to do the pruning that's necessary in our own lives and our own hearts. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And uh, this is just two cents for what it's worth. I almost always prefer a modern English translation over the old King James. But if you want to know, you King James people out there, here's one exception for you. I love... The phrase abide, that word abide, abide in me. Because like to remain, it sounds like, hey, why don't you hang out for a while, you know? But to abide, it's drinking deeply. It seems more intimate. It's sensual. It's joy in one another's company to the point that you're no longer worried about measuring time. Because there's no one else you'd rather be with. And there's nothing else you'd rather be doing. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. All the sustenance we need, all the life and love we need to flourish. Jesus says... It comes through intimacy with me. Everything we need to be fruitful, to be productive, to be happy, to be at peace. It comes through remaining in close contact with Jesus Christ. All the problems we have in life come back to our failure to keep this command, I think, in one way or another. So often we wonder why this life seems to still be so hard. Why doesn't God give clearer directions or easier circumstances? Why do we still get anxious and fretful and fearful and insecure? It always is because in some way or another we have failed to abide in Christ. We always seem to be tempted to think that God is holding out on us in some ways. He's stingy and he's keeping back the really good stuff for himself. Just out of reach. But the trouble we get into is not because God has moved away from us. It's because we have moved away from him. Let me say that again. The trouble we get into, it's not because God has moved away from us. It's because we, by our own choice, In some way or another, have chosen not to abide. See, a lot of us in this room know about coming to Jesus. We come to Jesus for atonement, to be healed of our sins. We come to Jesus for encouragement and support, to be born again in baptism, to be forgiven. But staying in constant close and unbroken contact with Jesus Christ in the real circumstances of your life. That's a whole nother thing. You see, in my life as a minister, as a missionary before this, I used to get so excited in things that God would give me. And I just want to get out there. And I was, man, I was zealous. I was, and I would get out there and I would share it. And I was just, I'd come to God for these quick little fill-ups and pit stops and encouragement. He's like gassing up the car. And I'd run out there and I'd get it and I'd do it and I'd love it and then, Things would happen. Circumstances would go sideways. Sometimes it was my own personal sin that would trip me up. Pride grew in that place away from abiding. Burnout grew in that place away from abiding. Lack of peace, a lack of joy. And I was doing it all for the Lord. But I was not abiding in Jesus Christ. And that's what makes this life so hard. See, God, He wants to be more to us than a quick pit stop. A quick check-in and a quick fill-up. I hope that our Sunday morning sermon uh, services and the sermons I preach, I hope that there's some growth and encouragement that comes from that. But God's desire from each of us is so much bigger than that. He wants to be more than our quick fix and our fill up. He wants the pleasure of our company constantly. He wants to constantly be holding us in His arms. Just like that son who couldn't wait to get to his father. That's what he wants. That's the longing of your God. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. See, the branch that is disconnected from the life-giving vine, it can't produce fruit, and it dries out. That branch has no life and it has no further use except to be perhaps used as kindling or put into the burn pile, waiting until you get the approval for the air quality that you can, uh, or not too dry or whatever. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. And this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is another important discernment tool for us. Do you want to know who the true disciple of Jesus Christ is? It's the one who's bearing fruit. And that fruit, sometimes we don't recognize it because it's so humble and it's so mundane. the one who is becoming like Jesus by abiding in Jesus, they will do the work that Jesus wants done. And Just like Jesus, we are called to some humble work sometimes. Jesus invested deeply in a group of people that everyone thought were losers, and just a few of them. He shared life with them, he loved them, and most of all, he modeled for them what it means to abide in God in perfect love and in perfect trust. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete just as Jesus gives us perfect peace in a quality unlike anything this world can give, so also the love of Jesus invites us to partake in His joy, the joy He has with God the Father. And in the fullness of Jesus' joy, we discover the fullness of our own joy. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. Remember when I said earlier that we need to instead of having a hired hand mentality, we need to have a sonship mentality that serves out of love instead of fear or obligation. You see, the, the beauty of this verse here is God knows God knows that we come at him from a place of mixed motives and being half-hearted. We have split allegiances, we're anxious, we have mixed motives but he's in the business of building us into a family. I'm almost done. I noticed my cue, just walked right through the door. John 15, 15 here, it marks this progression, the human journey, moving ever deeper into the love of God. In this case, moving from a place of slavery to a place of friendship. A friend is someone who Jesus shares everything with. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. See, in the culture of early Judaism, it was only the intellectual cream of the crop that would be given the privilege of being the disciple of a rabbi. (coughs) But look at who Jesus chooses to be his disciples. He chooses guys who were not good enough. They didn't have the right credentials. They're not rich enough, connected enough, smart enough. They didn't go to the right schools. Who did Jesus choose? He chose tradesmen, by and large. Fishermen. He chose a terrorist. He chose a tax collector. Why are these the people that Jesus chooses? See, in the hidden music of John's Gospel, Jesus saw something in these disciples that no one else in the world could see. These men couldn't even see it in themselves. See, this is a stumbling, fumbling, mistake-prone group. And they're unremarkable people except in one regard. They were willing to follow Jesus and to learn from Him and to try to obey Him. I think about the way that Jesus met Simon Peter. You remember in the Gospel of Luke. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon Peter answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. See, Peter knew what he was doing. He knew his trade. He knew how to catch fish. And then this rabbi who's got all this book knowledge or whatever, he didn't know what Jesus was like. It just says... This is how you do your job, Peter. Peter's like, we've been sweating. We're tired. But because you say so. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. You see, Peter was willing to take Jesus at his word, even when it didn't make sense. And he simply obeyed. They had so many fish, they didn't know what to do. And and Peter falls down at Jesus' feet. Get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. That miracle was unlocked by the obedience of these disciples. So once again, our lesson today, it's about abiding, remaining in Jesus. Our lesson today is about obedience And what is the command that He tells us to obey? This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. seems like an impossible task sometimes. But to the extent you or I abide in Jesus Christ, we have the power to love each other well. And to fulfill this command that he's given to us. So I don't know how you take this lesson or where you are today. um, But we always offer an invitation here at this church. So if you want to put on the Lord in baptism. If you need the prayers of this congregation. If you need some other encouragement. uh, You can come forward and let us know. While we stand and sing together.